If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Foy and Dr. Drew. Here we are. and gentlemen, boys and girls, today is a very special day. Yeah, and it's not because this time Bob's on the phone, not because he got stuck in traffic or he misscheduled us. <laughs> Tell us wh- why you were experiencing this life more vividly. But before you do, I want to introduce Caleb Bacon. Caleb. Hey, and, Bob. And when we let Bob go to Work his life, Caleb will take over. And then Bob Newton. And Bob, introduce yourself. Go right into this thing. Oh, there you go. Hi, Bob. <laughs> Bob Newton here. And, howdy. Uh, you'll, howdy, howdy. And Bob, you, you worked with Betty Ford for a long time, right? I'm still with them with for them. the last and, 15 years. And mostly working with youth and relapse prevention? Yeah, a variety of... Variety of functions. We'll yeah. find out all about that. Day, the day treatment, too, right? Yes. Yes. And Caleb, you want to... Give a little sketch about yourself real quick. Uh, sure. I'm a comedy writer, a uh, friend of some people in this room, and uh, also podcast. uh, a podcaster f- and fan of recovery. And give the name of your podcast. The podcast that I've done for a long time. I don't know how long. It's called Man School. It's currently on hiatus. Oh, it is? Yeah, which is not that exciting to plug. But no. Bob, I was on his podcast. We were working out together, and I was just telling him I went down to Florida to give a talk, and I was working out that afternoon in a gym, and a guy walks up to me, pulls out his headphones, and he goes, I'm listening to you and Caleb work out right now. So that's the, the reach of podcast. <laughs> so tell us, what what is this life happening? What part of this life is happening to you right now? Well, I'm sitting here in the hospital with Chrissy, my gal, and we're waiting on our daughter, and here's her heartbeat. Can you hear that? Yes, she's got a little one one fifty six. So Is that has, good, Drew? That's good. So she has. It's the decelerations you have to worry about when it slows down during contractions. Too much. Yeah, it goes goes up and back, up yeah. and down. I know. And then Chrissy's blood pressure's come way down. It's one twenty five over eighty, and we've just been sitting here for thirty hours. Is she in labor? Yeah, she has been. It's it's like the cervix wasn't. You know, it wasn't dilated enough, and then they put this balloon in. Modern medicine's crazy, Drew. I don't know how you guys do it. And then, <laughs> and then, Bob, uh, you had another sort of interesting thing happen in your life since our last broadcast, right? Well, yeah, my mom's funeral was yesterday. So, so this has been a crazy week of forest magic. Your sister mom. Yeah, sister mom. Well... Uh, you know, she's the one that did this with me. <laughs> she had you. Yeah, she had me. So how you doing? Are you okay? Yeah, it's been not a lot of time to think, that's for sure. Because, um, you know, it's just one life in, one life out. Wow. It's crazy. It's been a crazy week. I don't, I don't not even realize what it means. I just keep doing what I'm supposed to do. How was it with your family? In uh, was it Oklahoma? 
I I couldn't go because we were on bed rest, like you know, with this blood pressure stuff. Oh my god! So she was in the hospital with a blood pressure crisis. Your mom's funeral. Is your sister doing okay? Your actual it's your actual sister, right? Yeah, my sister is doing all right. Okay. It was weird though. I, t- I I was I was you know they wanted me to talk to my sister mom, my mom before she died because it was done the whatever it's called where you're pulling the plug and so my sister put the phone up next to her head and i just kept saying familiar words and everybody's telling me she's brain dead drew yeah and i keep saying elvis which is my son and it's bobby and all the familiar words you remember living in the desert remember when we used to i kept just saying you know words that would make her feel familiar for like 15 minutes and all of a sudden she said what i always say when i greet anybody or or see anybody is hey hey and so I answer my phone all the time. Hey, hey, it's Bob. And she would always say, hey, hey, it's Nancy. And so she said, hey, hey, Drew, explain that if she's well, brain dead. No, no, she's not brain dead. She's not. She She's just unable to have meaningful function, right? You can sometimes have various little glimmers. It's like Swiss cheese. Little areas can function. There can be little areas... Uh, where they have sometimes reflexive, some, sometimes meaningful or purposeful action, but that doesn't mean they can breathe on their own. That doesn't mean they can eat on their own. That doesn't. Yeah, mean she that... couldn't breathe on her own or eat on, swallow. She couldn't swallow. All right, and so it's not a life worth living, right? I know we need to have real adult conversation about this, but since we can't have adult conversations about anything, I doubt we will. Well, there's lots of people. Listen, California has moved forward on the death and dying front. Now you can you can do that. You can choose to die on your own terms. Uh, if you have a terminal illness and less than six months to live, there's there's ways to go about that now. I know we had a shocking thing at that Stanley Cup party a couple months ago. A acquaintance of mine walked up and said, you know, we were visiting and whatever, and then he just, he's been sick a long time, and he said, so this is probably the last time I'll see you. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, I'm terminal. It's it's throughout my body, and I'm waiting. And he said he was waiting for the date when it's legal. It yeah. was coming up this, I think, September. Yeah, yeah, the summer. And isn't that that's crazy to be at a, like, a, a, you know, a luncheon with a guy who's saying, this is probably the last time I'm going to see you because I'm going to end my suffering. How crazy is that? Well, maybe we here in the studio will continue to talk about these more <laughs> depressing topics. But Bob, you, you're in the middle of something glorious. So, well, but it's about life. Yes, life it is. is. Uh, listen, life is coming right now. Listen, listen, and a life well lived includes a certain kind of death too. Maybe we'll talk about that here, you know, amongst ourselves. Yeah, but yeah. I, I'm, should I let Bob go? Is that Bob? Do you want to go back to your duties there? Yeah, I'm back to my duties. Back right. to getting ready. We're getting ready next hour. All right. We're having the next hour. All right, buddy. Good luck. All right. Let us know. Texas, Texas, Texas when it's all over, okay? Kiss the baby for me. Okay. All right. Bye-bye, buddy. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. So I just thought we'd touch in with him because he couldn't be here today. Sure. He was looking forward to seeing you and meeting you. And uh, to tell people a little bit about your career and how you got involved with it and your recovery and whatnot. Well... Uh, I'm originally from Southern California, and then I went to the school at the University of Nebraska and played football for Nebraska University on their national 1970 national championship team. Went into the NFL for 11 years, uh, five five years with the Chicago Bears and six years with the Seattle Seahawks. 
Within a year after my uh, termination from the Seahawks, I entered treatment for chemical dependency in Monroe, Washington, at a small hospital-based uh, facility called Valley General Hospital. Can I just say, uh, not to gloss over the football stuff, because that's really impressive. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's, no, I'm a huge, huge football fan. And, and by the way, that, that was back in the days, you're too young for this, but that was when I was watching football, like really watching it. Uh, Sure, leather helmets and everything. No, no, no not quite that bad. No, not quite that. I kid, I kid. Don't <laughs> more about the fearsome foursome and Walter Payton and all this stuff. Sure. No, my grandfather. Jack Ham and the nickel yeah. defense was invented. And right, you know, a guy like Jim Kick could be a running back. Right. You know, right. <laughs> that was and guys like Dick Buckus roaming the field. Yeah, they probably yeah. wouldn't even let Dick play now. Yeah, he was too violent. So, <laughs> uh, Jim Brown might have had some issues yeah. today. Yeah. yeah. Today? My gym was phenomenal. If he but, was to play, oh today. yeah, oh yeah. But uh, so it was. It was a. It was a career that I'm. I'm. I'm very. I'm still very proud of. And everything. But and, and if I'm going to stop you too. By the yeah. way, the Rams are back in Los Angeles. That's when you were what, playing. What was the final score last? They night? won twenty eight to twenty seven. Twenty four. I, tur- I had to yeah. go somewhere and I turned it off. Dallas was still leading. They have so. a tight end right now. He's number eighty six. I forget his name. But it will be all of, on all of our tongues soon. He guy was. Like the new Gronkowski, like yeah. like we got one. He's a big guy. Yeah, well, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Shearing yeah. or something, or Shearer. Uh, or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the real thing to the real score from last night was ninety thousand. Oh, there were ninety thousand yeah. people For exhibition, to, yeah. biggest in the history of the NFL domestically. Yeah. I think other than when they went to like Mexico City. N- not, but not only that, I I, well, I looked at that in terms of a success, and then I thought, yeah, what a headache for SC. I mean, they got to turn that around every day. Do a, a yeah. college game yeah. with ninety thousand, yeah. and then do it. They should have done it in the Rose Bowl. It would have been so. It would have been fine. Yeah. But then they have the same problem with UCLA here. So anyway, I'm sorry. So you're you're eleven years in the NFL, and you you go you get treatment Monroe in Monroe. Yeah, and you know, I I admitted that I had a very progressive illness of of alcoholism. I was going to say the usual thing for an NFL player these days is painkillers. Yeah. Back then it was more alcohol, social. Well, my my drugs of choice was alcohol, marijuana, and cocaine. Co- which, I, if I, I you don't mind me interrupting, you no, not at all. No. Just kind of editorializing for listeners and stuff. Which is that's a that's a typical combo. That's a you know yeah. when people come into treatment, that's yeah. a very common combination. Yeah. Which of those did you have most difficulty giving up? Well, I think alcohol was always a severe problem, yeah. and I got introduced to cocaine in the early seventies, and it was introduced to yeah. me as a recreational drug. Yes. And oh. I said, well, I like recreation, <laughs> so you know that's how. Yeah. Three years later, I'm buying it once a week. And non-addictive recreational yeah, not, drug. In the non-addictive. 70s. It's not exactly. habit forming. Not right. habit forming. Yeah, I think that's right. what the package is. There's so much said. BS about that. But right. what people so, are surprised if you're not smoking crack, if you're doing, if you're snorting cocaine, doing pot, and doing alcohol, the the cocaine is not as hard as the pot and the alcohol usually. Yeah, uh, that's my biggest concern for our society now is with marijuana and and the. I know for me it was a very highly addictive psychological drug, and and I've seen that. And a lot of other folks that that we've treated, yeah. and uh, so, but alcohol was always uh, alcohol was always, uh, and I came from a significant f- family of alcoholism, of and, and so, you know, age fifteen, sixteen, I started, and and but it was just periodic, yeah. um, and you know, I never drank in the morning, and so I couldn't really identify. My typical perception was a skid row wino, right. so. Uh, I had legal problems. I started getting DUIs, and that kind of forced me to really look at it. Yeah. And and I'm grateful for that yeah. today. 
Now, no, Bob, I'm sober eight and a half years myself, and not to glamorize any of your drug use, but the cocaine must have been fantastic back then. Well, like I didn't even have the <laughs> opportunity to use that kind of cocaine. Yeah, is that right? It's cut differently now. Well, the, it's it's one of those things where you hear some people say, you know, back in my day, this stuff used to really work. Huh. Not full <laughs> of all this uh, baby used laxative. To really work. Well, now they put speed in there, and that's the problem. Yeah, that's we see a lot of weird reactions. But I, you know, the potency of it, it it got me, it got me high, it got me loaded, and I I like to use it when I was drinking because I'd get a little intoxicated, and I could do that, and then I'd sober up a little bit, and then drink some more. Uh, but it, you know, it was like I said, it was introduced as a recreational drug, and here, we, then years later, we see, you know how how it did start affecting with with crack and with freebasing was sure. the thing if you're not freebasing you don't have a problem with it back <laughs> then you know because yeah. uh, richard Pryor, he was one of the first ones to pioneer yeah to to yeah. popularize yeah. In, yeah. in the public mind yeah. as it were yeah um i i'm thinking right now i bob's still on my mind bob forrest still on my mind a little bit in that do you, you worked a lot with young people. You have worked. I have. Yes. You, are you still working with young people now? I, I, yeah, I work with young people, and because because right now the athletes that, and that's been a major preoccupation of Bob Forrest. Uh, he works over, over at that Aloe House. Do you, do you work with him over there at all? No, I haven't. Well, they're they're very proud of themselves for being non-judgmental and being open-minded, and you know they they're even. It sounds like you know willing to kind of sort of meet people on their own terms in terms of when abstinence is achieved, mm-hmm. which is sort of a new idea. Uh, and I've noticed it more and more in the literature, which is, well, if you're looking for abstinence, here's the best way to do that. But they've started sort of backing off now with all the replacement therapies and stuff. I'm not a fan. I, I you know, I my treatment was always about abstinence and returning sure, to a fully sure. flourishing life, Absolutely. not being chronically ill. <laughs> but Absolutely. these days, you kind of have to meet people where they are. It, it's it's crazy. Well, I I, I know that um, that's my I I still believe in from the, the original philosophy that it's an illness yep. and that um, if I take the first drink or first drug, it's going to agitate my compulsion and um, I'm going to be off and running fairly quickly. That's absolutely. That's factually true. Yeah. and uh, But, I yeah, there are a lot of medications assistant uh, assistance now and, and I'm all for I, I know what 25, 30 years ago AA or 12-step programs were against uh, antidepressant medications and I've seen some value of that yeah. and, and and I hope there's value in the assisted medication process we're going I, through. I, I hope so. It's very concerning. Yeah. I, I've seen yeah. a lot of disasters but I've seen some good things. It's yeah. just they're not carefully selecting for whom these things should be used. Just sort of everybody gets it yeah. and I, I wouldn't want you know any of us in here to get it where we develop addiction we would just be yeah. take long term treatment do abstinence yeah. uh, and the uh, the commitment to treatment has also been diminished people need to spend a lot of time in treatment there's some data out just recently that shows that on average now on average for alcoholism it takes four to five treatments to get one year of sobriety and I think largely that's because people are pushed in and out of treatment. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you could stay in treatment two years, you would sustain. You would keep going. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you but you never get that first six months. And uh, go but ahead. That's a great example. I I've worked I've worked with patients in the past that wanted out of treatment in two weeks or three weeks or a month or. Yeah. And they've been using 10, 12, 15 years. And, and I would say, you know, we can do so much in two weeks or three weeks, but look what we're going against. You've got a 20-year history of a significant 
addiction. Yeah, and it's it's just tough. just your brain, just on your brain recovering exactly. for six months to a year. Well, Bob, so, so when you were training for the NFL, it took more than two weeks to get ready. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know the sad thing, and and I know I'm so happy for Michael uh, Phillips in the phenomenal yeah not uh, much is being made of that is it michael phelps you're talking about i mean michael phelps excuse me yeah but but not much is being made of his recovery which i yeah but but you know to me i that is a double-edged sword i look at that and i go oh that's a dude that's very much into his recovery he's not grandstanding he's just in it yeah yeah it's it's usually a very humble process and it seems like right that's why he's not talking about it but it's an opportunity missed to really talk about you know or he should he should put somebody up in front of him to say hey you know he's permitted me to say one of the big pieces of my success is every day i work a problem on recovery you know and maybe hopefully that'll but it is it is publicized that he went to treatment for 45 days and and that he he, he's sober and clean and i i just think it's phenomenal i hope a lot of other Athletes. That's what I regret the most about my my NFL career. Uh, I don't think I ever reached my potential because mm-hmm. of my chemical use. And each year it got harder and harder physically and mentally to get prepared because of the you know the insidious progression of my chemical dependency. So, and then by by the time I was age thirty two, you know I was uh, you know my I still had the passion to play, but physically and mentally, that off season I hadn't put in the time and the work, and it it caught up with me. Did you coach or anything after that? Or I've coached high school, and I was a graduate assistant coach at Nebraska, and I've coached a little uh, junior college. And I like working with young people. I like planting seeds, and and there's so many mixed messages young people, uh, you know, receive now. I think with chemical use and. But you hit a you hit a hot button there with the opiate use because no I we used a they used to give us uh, codeine mm-hmm. uh, what else mostly codeine when we had pain issues on the plane coming back from the from that was the, back when it was good yeah. well that's all, <laughs> yeah. that's all they had was codeine I, I know, it's really the only oral it, one they had was, really yeah and yeah. and now this this opiate uh, epidemic that's that's really concerning I've seen a lot of people come back into treatment getting tripped unintentionally back into their addiction all the time or dead or dead at the hands of my my peers yeah that combo benzo opiate there it is that's what kills people bob what were some of the ways that your disease affected your performance as a player like did you have trouble memorizing the playbook because of pot well well at times uh i think the most i was i was my behavior was unpredictable and my play was inconsistent. My so I, you know, one game I'd have a phenomenal game, and they they would think the next maybe that week because of the hangovers or whatever. I was just I didn't put in the time in the weight room or run the sprints, and and I go I go into a game overconfident and I get my butt kicked. And so it was the inconsistency I think affected me, and on you know on the practice field and in game time. And you know, coachable. Some days I was very coachable. Sometimes, I, if I went in there hungover, I was irritable, discontented, and 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 then just the anxiety that some hangovers and my drunken behavior caused the night before. I, that would linger with me for two or three days, you know. And it, I know it was affecting my preparation. So, let's the, talk about young people you you are encountering. What, what do you see to be the thing today? What's happening to young people? What, what is there something we can I think characterize? Well, I think they're they're getting into the opiates just oh, uh, yeah. you way know, early. Yeah, way early, and the, and we see the ODs that are that are taking place. Uh, is there something spiritually going on with young people that we're not addressing, or we're not seeing, or we don't experience because we're not their age? 
that's a, that's a good a good point drew i uh i don't know they I, they have the, the the hole in the soles like we all have and if they're if they're trying to use chemicals to fill it up um you know, like older people do or have. Bob has been Bob Forrest has been describing, and, and I've encountered this too, that he's having difficulty getting them to want to have meaning in life. Because they, yeah. you know, what do you want to do? What, what do you want to be? How do you want to yeah. flourish? And yeah. they're like, I don't know. What do you want me to do? Which is the scariest comment of all. Do you see this too, Caleb? Before? Well, kind of what comes to mind when you bring this up is just the access to opiates. Like, oh, yeah. When it's I grew insane. up, they weren't in the medicine cabinet. Yeah. But it seems like, yeah. you know, Someone's mom had a wrist surgery. Now there's just a big bottle of something that could be fun. <laughs> and so that changes the situation. Yeah, I'd like to know what this... You may know, Drew, the stats of use back for... When young people start using it, 12, 13, 14 years of age, I mean, their development and, and maturity is so impaired. And, and especially if they continue using... Yeah, absolutely. It just, it just, they just they they miss those developmental milestones. They just yeah. don't develop. Yeah, and certain drugs and, like cannabis actually changes the brain structure, and so we worry about yeah. that. It seems to stay permanent. We don't really know what it all means yet. Yeah, uh, it means and, you become a comedy writer. <laughs> Is that when you started? <laughs> uh, about thirteen with pot. Yeah, yeah. that's your yeah. typical stuff. Pot and alcohol. But, typical. But I was yeah. six foot tall, so like it seemed okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was a pretty gross right, guy. Right. Yeah, yeah. I had tolerance. <laughs> <laughs> a little, yeah, a little bit. Tolerance for cheap beer, and sure. Well, I, I remember the day I was in treatment. I was so grateful I hadn't killed somebody driving yeah. my car intoxicated. I, I've never forgot that day, and I hope I never will because that could have happened. Even when I was sixteen, uh, that could have happened so many times. Uh. And I, because my, I know my, my reactions were impaired. I was under the influence, and I really have a lot of gratitude around that. That didn't happen. How do you? I'm sure you have, uh, Drew, been with people that. But if you take a life and you're under the influence, how do you live with that? I, I might uh, yeah. get sober, you go through treatment, but you still got that between your ears. The ones that I have seen, I haven't seen a lot of that. I haven't treated a lot of that, but the ones yeah. I have don't get sober. Yeah. They keep going back. They yeah. keep having real trouble yeah. living with it, you know. Yeah. And, and oftentimes yeah. the families are pushing litigation and sure. upset and not forgiving in any way. And right. it's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, it's the ultimately they have to go take the medicine of, of whatever it is the consequence of yeah. what they've done is, and right. uh, that's a tall order too. Sure. Now I don't know. I don't see them on the other side of prison. I don't know if they may, maybe find something there. Yeah. Often people do. Yeah. Uh, but I, I can only hope. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's a fatal thing. Yeah. It's tough. I agree. So, it, what are your concerns today? What else? What else are you pushing? What else are you interested in? What else do you want people to know about? I just, you know, I just like to, when I go out and speak with people, no matter what the the age, I just like to build awareness about the about the disease of addiction and the signs and symptoms and. Where you can get help, and uh, how, how about getting help? These days, we're sort of upset, you know, Bob and I, Bob Forrest and I, that that a lot of the places are just businesses, and they yeah. mill people through, and there isn't a dedicated staff necessarily, or it, you know, it changes over time, and there's no standards, and uh, there's so many things to be worried about. Yeah. I really get sort of uh, apoplectic sometimes about the treatment field now. I, I, I'm a little outside of it. And, and it's because it got too. It's too hard. It's too. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I think there's a lot of 
concern nationally about that, about where the the true uh, you know the the true meaning is of, of treatment centers. Is it just to make uh, you know a financial return or uh, to to really help the patients that are coming in there? I know I I still work with a lot of folks that I've been uh, uh, related to with. The, it's the Hazel and Betty Ford Center yeah. now, and, and I've always admired Hazelden for starting. You know, they're, they're, they maintain a high level of, of yes. quality. You, yeah, you can pretty if you got the Hazelden moniker attached to a program, you can be pretty pretty reliably assured yeah. that you're getting a good program. We, we've got a lot of dedicated uh, Hazelden Betty Ford employees yeah. at, in Rancho Mirage there, where the, the where our facility is at, and so I really believe there's a lot of people still working in their hearts they really care uh but it's i think it's harder i think the patients are sicker you know over the last 10 to 15 years are coming in more poly addicted uh you know when i first got in the field you see a 50 year old male alcoholic come in that's you know, a routine it was pretty case. simple yeah, yeah. right let's, let's get with yeah, this now you're getting young people coming in already addicted to street heroin yeah. and it's no a bad family life. It's a know. terrible prognosis. Yeah. We have to take a little break. We'll be right back. All conversations and information exchanged during participation in the This Life with Dr. Drew and Bob Forrest podcast or interaction with drdrew.com website is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction per se. Nothing on these podcasts or posted on this site supplements or supersedes the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the sites or podcasts. Welcome back. This life, Kayla Bacon is my special guest co-host. Bob Forrest is out giving birth, or at least his... Well, his, his lady is yes, giving Yes, his lady is giving birth. They're going to have a daughter any minute now. Hopefully they'll check in with us. And uh, just before we get started again uh, with Bob Newton, I want to remind people about someone that uh, has been very supportive of this program, an organization that makes Bergamot Mega Plus, and it's a nutritional supplement that uh, I can get behind. I, I, it takes a lot for me to get behind this stuff. Uh, as a scientist, it's not easy to convince me, so I did a bit of research of my own, quite a bit, in fact, and uh, I ended up taking this stuff. I've ended up recommending it for patients. Uh, it is an extract for the bergamot citrus fruit. It's a natural statin or HMG-CoA reductase inhibitor, and it has properties that lowers triglyceride, lowers LDL, raises HDL, just like a statin. And you can actually use it with a statin as well. Um, it can address conditions like also the uh, metabolic syndrome, which is, of course, uh, increased abdominal fat, high cholesterol, triglyceride, high blood pressure, high blood sugar. Do you have, do you have Why are you syndrome? looking at me when I you have it. say I have it. I, I have it. Do you have it, Bob? Uh, hypoglycemia. No, hold that. Hold that mic up there. Oh, yes. I I have the the blood sugar issue. Yeah. Do you have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've got blood pressure, cholesterol, the whole deal, and so uh, and it's also had some really good results. The Bergamot Mega Plus with uh, fatty liver, which is something that is the complication of all this stuff. So often we do prescribe uh, statins, which are pharmaceutical, and do not do, oh, do not do anything without talking to your doctor, of course. But this can be used with the statin. Uh, for a limited time, when you buy two bottles of Bergamot Mega Plus, you'll get one free. So to learn more, go to bergametna.com. That is bergametna.com. Or just go ahead and click the Bergamot banner on our website at doctor.com. And, uh, again, uh, privileged to say I can get behind this stuff. And uh, I'm duly impressed. I have patients that can't tolerate statins and things, and this gives me another option for them. And some of them have fatty liver, so I will report to you. 
on uh, the progress of the fatty liver situation. I may have some fatty liver going on. Do you? Yeah. So. Do you still have? I mean, it's the alcohol plus the metabolic syndrome is sort of a double whammy for that. Well, it's the managing to put on a beer gut in sobriety that's kind of been a bit of a problem. <laughs> you're not terribly overweight at all. You're just you just like what five pounds lose ten pounds. <laughs> I I don't know. But but I you can lose forty. Really? Yeah, yeah. That um, wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be right, but I should do it. I feel like no, I'm like two fifty. You don't look it. Well, thank you. Yeah, like, uh, but six um, two, former Bob. I don't want to brag, but I was a lineman in junior varsity football. You didn't play varsity football, junior varsity. No, no, I retired. Why? Because because I'm not a tough guy. I, I got into weightlifting. Yeah. so much that I that just took over for me. Did you steroids? No, no. Are you offering? No, I'm just wondering oh, how you okay. avoided it. You were you were an addict and weightlifting. That's a pretty typical combo. Just rode to the steroids. Well, I progressed kind of slowly, uh. and it wasn't until my 20s that I got really going with more drugs and really regular drinking. And I was uh, pretty much pretty much not in the gym too much at that point. <laughs> okay. So steroids just didn't didn't happen for me. You just didn't have access. Uh. I, I steroids, have, steroids would have been a solution to a real good addict. But but I was not an addict who needed to see you. Oh. Uh, I, you weren't severe. I was not severe. Yeah. Now, I was severe enough to have died. Yeah. But, my, but I don't have trauma. Yeah. So I didn't have that sort of accelerant on everything. Yeah. So I knew the difference between right and wrong, and a lot of times I would cross a line. I wasn't happy about it, but just felt like I didn't really have a choice. And so I could like push certain things away uh, for for so long, and then steroids. I didn't really have to push away too much because I was out of the gym by the time I would have been open to it. Yeah, Bob, what I always say is that uh, you know if you have bad enough addiction, you need to see me. You had trauma <laughs> because I see the you know sure. <laughs> the sure. real deal stuff. Yeah, and and for if you need to see me, you need to be abstinent. Uh, or on replacement, I understand that's another option for certain people. Yeah. But that's somebody. If you keep them on replacement, they're going to be chronically ill. Uh, yeah. know, that's not going to ever be a flourishing life. Yeah, uh, at least not likely. But they will survive. They'll survive it. It depends what our goals are in treatment. You know, or what, what yeah. are we trying to do? Yeah, I, I I prefer to be in a field where you know the part of the field anyway. Where we want to re- re- restore people to full flourishing life. And uh, I was going to give you some data on twelve step on this because twelve step is under attack right now. Right? Do you guys know this? Is it? Oh, not. It's been a little lighter lately. But if you if you go online on social media, you will get attacked by these sort of anti social media. If you say it's sunny out, people will attack you for that. Yeah, I'm just saying that there's an anti a twelve step sort of wind blowing, and uh, you know Doug, uh, what's his name? Doug Stanhope. Doug Stanhope, you know, champions that and attacks me and has a whole you know army behind him he's a special case though he is a special case but but is you know i don't dislike bob stanhope i I, I, duck stanhope i like duck stanhope and uh, he everyone has to i'm not into telling anybody how to do anything i mean if they want help i've got some ideas Mm -hmm. but otherwise go ahead and live your life enjoy man and doug has a certain life he lives and god he doesn't he doesn't want abstinence no he doesn't want anything he wants to go on what he's doing and and god bless him that that's all good uh, but if you ever need some help, the, now they have all this data now out on cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational enhancement therapy, combos of these things, 12-step. And t- in terms of abstinence, 12-step is still the best outcomes. Whether you combine it with things, whether you do it alone, there's two two caveats, so I would say. One is that if you demand a patient go to 12-step, they don't do very well. 
they, it has to come from within at least a little bit. Number one, and then number two, um, the thing about twelve step that I think a lot of people don't understand is you it's it's free. So everyone that's worried about the healthcare costs, please. There's a concern. It's not professionally managed. I understand that that's an issue. But the other thing is that you know early in recovery, somebody has to sit on you. Somebody who knows your disease deeply has to be around you all the time. And you can't pay a professional to do that. You can't. And, you, and, and by the way, that's a power imbalance too. This is just somebody who cares enough to, to sit on you and understand mm-hmm. your condition, mm-hmm. which is a much more equitable relationship mm-hmm. as opposed to somebody in authority sitting on you 24 7 it's almost i mean imagine an addict with that i mean all he or she would think about is getting out of here mm-hmm. uh so people don't think about that piece there's a there's a sort of a 24 7 component mm-hmm. to 12 step and then there's the trust building and the relationship building which takes immense amount of time immense yeah. and the professionals it's just not practical if we could just, if everyone had their own personal team of therapists, I guess that would be a little better, probably. Maybe, or, or maybe not. Those very expensive uh, sober coaches. I, I'm not sure. That's that's a weird relationship too. Sometimes. No, I'm not saying I like it, but that's literally a way to have somebody sit on you 24. Well, it, it is, but I would argue that that's that the way addiction works, you need to have multiple kinds of people around you because you'll you'll zero in on that one person and work them. But you have different people with different personality qualities that respond in different ways. It's good for you, and it's also good in terms of keeping the disease contained. You know, we we would you know that, that's why you, you can talk about teams. I'm sure you work in great teams, mm-hmm. and that's that's the one of the magic and fun parts of treating addicts. Yeah. I think that's a great point, Drew, that you made about twelve step support. Is I've known I've known patients, I've known people over the years that you know they, when they got out of treatment or when they first got sober, they they went to two or three meetings a day, you know, just to keep them in a safe environment and to have the support. And that's how they made it, you know, with that kind of Somebody's couch. support. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, and just going to the meetings and, and being present and uh, and having that. Now, I, you know, I, 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 I see some of that on social media, too, to anti-AA messages and so forth and I just kind of glance over them because I, I just go from personal experience and what I've observed for the last 33 years. Is, is What's happening in the professional sphere which is a little concerning is is they'll go well if abstinence your goal <laughs> they'll do it that way. Yeah. If you're going for abstinence well then there's a superior outcome here but if you're just going for they have measures like you know reduced drinks per week yeah. and you know harm reduction right where you're just taking you're just yeah. taking this pill and not that it's and that's not even the harm reduction piece yet oh, okay. that's just considered therapeutic success in terms of reducing the intensity of the disease yeah. and and I would argue again keeping somebody chronically ill is not I mean sort of what that's what I was talking about earlier and meeting people where they are there's a much greater sort of willingness to do that now yeah. and, and and to some extent okay in a social model you can kind of bring people along maybe yeah. right but your really goals needs to be absent yeah i agree and and you know hazelden we have a core 12 program that that has i think drawn up a little controversy where we've extended their suboxone use you know with the statistics with but with an end with an end date the the, the the key is though you have to have physicians that do the end date. Yes, Our, my peers yeah. are all like, "Oh, you're in withdrawal. We can, we'll have to keep it going." Yeah. Of course, they're in withdrawal. Yeah, when they come off this drug, they're going to be in withdrawal. That no matter how slow you go, yeah. there's going to be a little something. 
and you've got to just hold the line. Yeah, just the way you would if they were yeah. in full blown withdrawal. Yeah, I, and our our standard protocol there, I, th- I think, is ten days of detox. Well, that's not even that's you know that's just a detox pill. Yeah, it's not even a maintenance pill at all. Yeah, yeah, that's not that I would not call that harm avoidance. Right. The harm avoidance is when they get to sixteen milligrams, and the doctor goes, "Oh, you seem very uncomfortable. Let's just leave it here. We'll yeah. deal with this later." And they never do. And and your point about I'm concerned about a lot of the outpatient physicians uh, that that prescribe uh, the opiate detoxes and, and it's then it's not wrapped with with any clinical services I, I or i couldn't do, even if i had a team around me i couldn't do that yeah. I, I couldn't handle it it's yeah. just yeah. it's not structured enough for opiate addicts need shit loads of structure yeah i mean i suppose maybe if they were in a sober living and they had a team and they had people other people involved yeah but now you're talking about extremely expensive treatment yeah but I think there's some people out there just that just goes to their physician. They get the lot, a the, lot of that. Yeah, and they get their opiate. Uh, yep. Uh, and most of them use it as a way to keep chipping and keep you know keep the heroin going or whatever yeah. they're, they're using. Yeah. So, it's very. It's very. Uh, but you seem like you have a very optimistic attitude about things. I've, I've been a little bit. Bob and I get a little bit burned out and pessimistic. Well, <laughs> I no, I I've been, I've, one thing I I've I've been in the chemical dependency field about 30 years but i've had a lot of different positions because i you know i haven't just been a counselor i've counseled off and on and i've been in administration and some other some other roles and uh, my preferred role is is education though and and speaking to people and and young people i when i first got sober for years i went into high school assemblies and i'd have 200 kids here and if i just helped one kid i felt it was it was worth that what was the main part of your story they attached to you think well, the main thing was that I just, I just described a very subtle progression that I never thought I would have a problem with alcohol and other drugs when I first started experimenting with those drugs. And, and advertisement, I think, I think our, our young people are bombarded uh, with advertisements to drink, and this is what men do, and beautiful women drink. And so I think there's a lot of mixed messages with young people. I try to, I try to talk about that issue a little bit. Got some emails that our producer Susan Pinsky from uh, Calling Out gave us. Uh, here's one. I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on uh, why we think the DEA has decided to keep pot as a Schedule One substance. They just they and they've actually lightened it up a little bit. What they've done is uh, it used to be just University of Mississippi was able to grow the pot for research. Now they've allowed other centers to be doing the research. Uh, doesn't, that doesn't sound like too much of a lightening up. It isn't it, the schedule. No. I think the schedule one is sort of silly. So, it's, just it's, for the the listener, what else is on schedule one? Heroin and cocaine, and other, you know, not cocaine. Cocaine is actually right. Schedule two. And isn't like meth schedule two? Uh, yeah. Also, yeah, and, and of course the oral opiates and things, you know, and so so according to the DEA, yeah, pot is worse than meth, uh, worse than uh, opiates, which is yeah. the, I would much rather have a chronic pain patient on pot than than uh, big doses of oxycontin and taking their benzo along with that. And no one will die of pot. That's the thing that's troubling to me. It's, the opiates are killing people hand over fist, and uh, and it's so, they, so hard to treat. Are they starting to? I, I've heard that they're starting to keep doctors yes. accountable with yes. the, the prescription yes. piece. They, they absolutely are, and and, uh, and and by accountable, it's just more you know cultural pressure that we've yeah. we've shifted from this notion that pain is what the patient says it is, and mm-hmm. and there was a time when if you didn't treat pain adequately. You would lose your job. You could go to jail in certain states. Mm-hmm. You would certainly be open for malpractice. You know, we had, uh, it drove me absolutely out of my mind. In every uh, hospital I've ever worked at, they've got, the, the pain was the fifth vital sign. We're going to deal with pain. Idiots. 
that, that decided there was a bunch of attorneys that decided it mm-hmm. not, not for the clinicians I mean the clinicians jumped on board because they made giant uh, industries out of it of course the drug companies were like yeah go 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 but they weren't the problem they just they just they just pulled the sail up on the ship it was it was mm-hmm. us sailing the ship I'm telling mm-hmm. you uh, and uh, so let's see I was going to tell you something about how it got out of hand and now I can't remember my train of thought the pain uh, the pain the, pain uh, the fifth uh, vital sign it's, so you get these little pictures I'm sure you've seen this as an administrator the little happy faces going from very very sad to very very happy it was like 10 of them and you know my patients were all on you know 10 being happy 1 being miserable my patients were all ones mm-hmm. and so we would get called in by administration all the time going you can't we, the the, the uh, departmental health won't allow this. You have to you have to address their pain. I am addressing their pain. I'm treating their addiction. They will they will be an eight in four days. I promise. Unless unless I do something, in which case they may stay in a one to four for for uh, indefinitely. Yeah. And so we have to get the administrators on board to stand up to departmental health, and we'd have to show that you know they they'd be miserable for a week, and then they'd be. Five, six, even the chronic pain patients. Uh, Dr. Pitsky, we're going to have to let you go. Your average patient is a negative four. Yeah, yeah I know. And that's what you lose yeah. your right. And this and is and the department, all the different administrative organizations, the bureaucracies are on your ass. The attorneys are on your ass. It's terrible. You can't do your job. And I, you must have seen that as administrator. Well, I've seen this progression of pain medication uh, just explode the last what 10 15 yeah. 10 12 years i i don't know but it's got right yeah up. and uh the, the politics and whatever was all behind it i mean that's a simple explanation that you gave i can see where the doctors are under pressure to uh, to comply but getting back to marijuana i never thought i I lived long enough to see that marijuana was legalized in, and I'm sensitive to marijuana because I I was addicted well, to it. Well, drugs, yeah, yeah. So I. I'm so what real, do we do with that? How how do we reconcile the fact that we have people that really get harmed by it, and even some occasional users get harmed by it, but the people who make the laws, and, the, and I mean, the the populace, would like it to be legal. How do we reconcile this? For me personally, I'm I'm going to see it just like alcohol. That it's if it's legal, it's legal. That doesn't mean I have to use it. And I I can I don't go into bars and I won't be going into pot, pot houses and and stuff like. For me, that's the way I'm going to have to. But as a society, uh, I I think there'll be some social harm from it. Uh, I, I I heard in Colorado there's there's been some. Because I don't think people will really use it for med- medicine. They'll, no. you, know, <laughs> smoke, you know, just no. for the medicine purpose. If you walk no, down Venice Beach today, yeah. there's a guy with a sign on the billboard saying, the doctor is in, come get your prescription. <laughs> and they'll try to pull you in. They're yeah. aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. But, all, but but that's California. In Colorado, it's, it's, it's like alcohol. It's and then I, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that there's, you know... Uh, not real good people going into Colorado now trying to get us try to get part of that business and um so I, I think some socials will will come just just like when we started approving gambling casinos you know i i again it's great recreation, but I think some of the socials that have come out of it have been pretty significant you know with gambling addiction and family financial strife let me read you guys a couple more uh emails here. 36-year-old, addiction since 2004, started drinking at age 24, never heavily, Oxycontin, 2004, uh, just once a week, and this, this, lo and behold, more, 2008 methadone, 95 milligrams, down to 25, back up to 55, got pancreatitis in 2013, which to me means he was drinking, been over a year since I stopped drinking, okay, 
uh, but I'm back at it. I'm on disability. I suffer from extreme bipolar. Uh, my anxiety meds, which means the benzos, which I do not abuse. I've never felt high from them, but they do help my anxiety. And uh, I'm looking for a way to get clean. So he's taking benzos and opiates, which should never be prescribed together. And he's drinking. Pancreatitis can kill me. That's true. Uh, never a needle user. No heroin. Only painkillers. Well, to me, I, I, I don't see a giant difference. I'm you sorry. don't get points for that. Yeah, not for me. Yeah. Uh, I want well, to do this because you can still die just as easily. Now here's 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 the caveat. I really want to do this one step at a time and not throw my body for a total loop of withdrawal from you know this is too much being a disability. Uh, I can't get into expensive rehabs, so hmm, there's one of those cases we see lots of, right? I think it'd be a good case for you, Doctor Drew. He is a typical <laughs> case for me. That's right. Uh, and but the conundrum always is no family, no resources, and the stuff you really need, to, and no motivation. He doesn't really understand what he's dealing with. Uh, if I could, if I had, you know, if I were ruler of the world, and I could help this guy. I would I would put him somewhere for a year, but it would or two years, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and it would not have to be intensive. It just steady, just steady as she goes. But you mean inpatient. I mean, like a sober living, oh, okay. a sober Just, living with with a therapist, with a doctor, but not round the clock, whatever. I mean, he might need it for a few days to get him off. Some sort of structured environment. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, he might be able to do it just on a, on a suboxone detox. I mean, maybe yeah, and, this is the guy for that. And, and he's not going to be able to escape uh, the, the, the uncomfortability yeah, of it's withdrawal. Just the way it goes. Yeah, and the withdrawal is the easiest part. It's what I ever tell everybody. Yeah. Get, you'll get through it. You won't even remember it. But yeah. the benzo withdrawal could be an issue for him. Yeah. So he needs somebody skilled to deal with it. Yeah. Benzo alcohol, common thing. Uh, we use lots of barbiturates to get people off that. And, uh, we had a doctor out there, Dr. Garrett O'Connor, who was a addiction I psychiatrist. I love Garrett. Yeah, he's oh, a great guy. He always calls that withdrawal, that withdrawal process as authentic suffering. Yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. is. Yeah. And I ask patients, don't forget it. Because if you don't want to repeat it, you know, use that as a reminder to keep you motivated. Garrett gave a great lecture about spirituality. Yeah. Did you hear that lecture? Yeah, yeah. It, I, I've, I've always the, wanted to reproduce it myself, yeah. but I can't. Only he can talk about it. But he did talk about, if I recall, how skeptical he was about it. Yeah, and about how what miracles he had seen, and how he understood it. And if I understood him right, I, I think he's in the same boat I'm in, where he, he really sees spirituality as more of a human to human. Yeah, connection. Yeah, and, and all the stuff that goes into that. Yeah, he had about two or three talks that were just very, very profound, and just would just keep you at attention at all time. I, I always, and if anybody has day. issues with spirituality or twelve step, please go listen to Garrett O'Connor. Yeah. Look, listen to John Kelly out of Brigham and Young Women's in uh, uh, in Harvard. These people give talks that aren't just persuasive; they are. Uh, and you can find—I bet you can find them online. There must be YouTube video or something yeah. of these guys talking. And these are scientific minds. These are saying. great clinicians, and, yeah. and they're—they're they're, transformative. Isn't a strong enough word. They're—they're. They're, I—I don't have a word. Eye-opening. But these aren't the typical advocates for this stuff. No, so these are it, these it, are yeah. this, these are careful scientists yeah. who who worse you know have come through years of experience and research. Have some very strong arguments, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're com- compelling. I guess is the best word. All right, I've taken another quick break. I'll be right back. I want to welcome Aloe Treatment Centers out in Malibu as a new sponsor. I know we can trust it because I started it and I, I work there. I can vouch for that. But the fact is, it's the way we used to do things. You and I. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, basic Minnesota model, really strong boundaries with clients, individualized treatment plans. Absence-based. Yeah, absence-based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great team. It's a great team. Been there a long time. Some of the people have been there since the beginning. But here's the other thing is millennials need to learn how to get their driver's license and get a job. And we're starting a coffee house where the kids are going to work. Right. You know, that type of stuff. So it's like the best of the 20th century and a new 21st century model. Which is social, employment rehab. Growing up. Vocational rehab. Personal responsibility. in the world, being in the world. Yeah. And recovery. Yeah. Long term. Well done. We're back. Uh, It's This Life. Bob Forrest is experiencing this life. He's in the labor delivery room. Hey, hey. Hey, now. What's happening? How's it going? By the end of... By the end of this podcast, a child will be born. <laughs> is, is that, how how dilated are we? Ten or eleven? Okay. Like ten. Ten, okay. and the baby's head is down. We're about, we're waiting. They're doing a, a OR C-section, and the team is coming down here. And then she's going. Has she started pushing yet? No, not yet. Okay. All right. But it's going to happen fast. It's been 30 hours in the making. I, I wish I could tell you that was true, but, but it may not be that fast. A noliparous female can have a real tough time that first going go around. What did you call her? Noliparous, yeah. as opposed to multiparous. <laughs> noliparous, never, never having delivered before, it means. First timer. Oh, okay. First timer. Uh, we got to, you know, work it in, as it were. <laughs> and there any decelerations or anything? The baby's in distress at all? No, not at all. Everything's good. So what's the baby's name? Sydney Magic Forest. Nice. It'll be magic when it comes out. <laughs> I know. And, and it's, and it's uh, because Chrissy loves Magic Johnson, and ah. it's Magic Johnson's birthday today. Ah. <laughs> okay. Little, little happenstance for you. All right, my friend. Well, we're pulling for it. We want to hear all about it. We, we Keep checking in with us as you go here, all right? I'm gonna. Okay. When, once the pushing thinking. starts, the both Caleb and Susan would like to be in the room with you in some fashion. <laughs> they both were like, Everybody they're, very, they're very excited <laughs> that they'd be part of the pushing episodes. So, so call in when you got that going on. All right, we're good, we're good cheerleaders. Okay. Make sure you're all right, okay bye. with Chris. All right, all right talk soon. Bye. It might be a little loud, but I, but it's interesting. Yeah, I don't I'm know what listener saying, gets I that experience. How, uh, his how lady friend will feel about that. But Poor anyway, woman. but Bob, I really appreciate you. We have we have a few more minutes, but but I want to just say thank you for being here and thank you for the work you do and you know for being a a, a, a presence yeah. in the field. Well, you thank know, you. It's, it, we have so many great people in this field, yeah. and and if anything else, people should attach to that and understand that. And if you, you get confused by all the headlines and the anti this and the pro that and the whatever, just get get around good people because that's what is that's what's magic about recovery. Yeah. It is one human helping another. Yeah. Well, sometimes whole teams of people, but it's yeah. it's an interpersonal recovery, uh, and and that's where a lot of crazy magic happens. Yeah. Well, I've 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 appreciated your dedication to this field and the mm-hmm. the tremendous asset you've helped our well, society I, and, and I, building awareness. I'm you like know? you. I I've gotten out of the trenches and I'm more in the educational yeah. piece now, yeah. but. I spent 20-plus years in the yeah. trenches. and yeah, I, I watch you, and I, I really admire your patience and calmness with the real entitled patient. I mean, <laughs> it's all, but it's all, to me, you, you're laughing. I laugh, too, because I know that's all the BS of the disease. Yeah. Like, they're f- so yeah. funny. They're yeah. so funny. Yeah. And I know, and if you didn't know what's on the other side for them, you couldn't be patient. Yeah. You have to have seen the miracles sure. over and over and over again to have faith 
and you I'm sure you've experienced what I've experienced which is the ones you you know sometimes people surprise you by not getting it you think they're going to get it sometimes yeah. you would give a prayer to suddenly Never get know. it and and so you everyone has you, you're giving a chance to everybody because yeah. all of a sudden someone gets going and and it's it's miraculous yeah. it's uh, that's how I got first involved in the field I saw some recoveries and I was like what the what was that yeah. I, that girl was dying three months yeah. ago I, I six months ago nine months ago I I, I saw her she was going to die and that that's who that is now that's a dip, that's that's not the usual thing in medicine where you go from sort of ill to chronically ill you know what mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. or ill to sort of whatever but it, from from dying to amazing. Nothing else in medicine is like that. And now here it is, the problem of our time. Mm-hmm. A lot of nudniks getting involved in it. A lot of people getting involved that perhaps shouldn't be involved. But I, I guess we need armies to deal with it. Well, I, I go back to when they, you know, back in the, in the, well, they used to throw alcoholics and drug addicts in the psych wards yeah. up until, what, the oh, late 50s? It's a great before. book somebody sent me. I think, I think Ryan Holiday sent it to me called Asylum. Yeah, and uh, and it's very much how the, where Bob and I worked. How used, they used to treat alcoholics, yeah. and just TLC for a year at most. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best. Oh yeah, Drew, you need to talk about that. That book? No, th- how they used to treat patients at. Oh my Los God, the Los Encinos was like a history of psychiatric care. Yeah. You know, it was there for 150, 130 years old now, yeah. and uh, I was there in the eighties. I started there, and there were still psychiatrists there. They've been there since the thirties and forties, and. And they would tell stories about all the crazy stuff. And, yeah. you know, whenever I hear Scientology taking on uh, psychiatry, I go, yeah, they did do some pretty bad stuff sometimes. Yeah. They were trying. They were, they were desperately ill people. Yeah. But in the name of trying to help desperately ill people, they did some crazy stuff. Like they had insulin shock therapy. Mm-hmm. They'd make people so hypoglycemic they would, they would seize. They had electric shock was invented there, but back in those when it was not invented there, but early early phases of it were carried out there. Pioneered, pioneered, and they would take, nurse nurse ratchet style. They would take the people, they'd lie them on the floor, four people would hold them down, they put tongs on either side of their head, and they'd push this box with a red button and slam it down, and they'd see. It's just crazy, and stuff. that worked out really well, right? Well, the electric shock therapy did tend to work a little bit, but I saw yeah. I saw singulotomies, I saw the constantly the downstream effect of. They they cut out you know it's very much like a lobotomy singulotomies are like a localized lobotomy, and oh my god and and these people were as I looked through the prism of what I could tell of their history largely addicts or borderline personality yeah. those were the two that would would get that and uh, they just crushed their frontal lobe and that's that and off they go and the, man was it a disaster later just severe severe neurological impairments um what else susan did you like the story that i the, the alcoholics just got tlc i mean wc fields died there uh yeah he, and he used to he used to block his movies in the rose garden out in front of some of the bungalows there may west would visit him she was in pasadena and uh and it was just a lot of sort of weird tlc like you know just will detox you and somebody asked me an interesting question on twitter this is because i take issue always with this idea of cleanses and detoxes and they go well what do you do you detox people from drugs i go okay good good question cleanses and detoxes you know people eat drink juices and stuff none of that has any meaning whatsoever and i would urge you just to start with the idea of a toxin just whoever starts talking about toxins have them to please just just write the formula of said toxin down just write it down and then once we have the the formula the chemical formula of that toxin we can write the stoichiometry of how it damages and then we can write the stoichiometry of the chemistry, just the basic chemistry of how it comes out through drinking a juice, 
how it's pulled out through what the luminal surface of the small bowel. What? What do we? It's and Eastern, none of it makes any sense. You don't understand, Drew. It's Eastern medicine. You're schooled yeah. in Western medicine. You right. just don't get okay. it. Man. Stop. You Stop just, already. You got to drink this cayenne pepper but, and the water. But, yeah. but detoxing is just a a colloquial term for a period of time of what the body goes through when they stop doing their chronic drug. And that's withdrawal. And when you treat withdrawal, you treat it typically with medications, and that's just called the detox. That's just It's a colloquial term for what we're doing. It has nothing to do with toxins. <laughs> it has nothing to do with actually detoxing. It's just making it safe to come off the drug because your body will react so profoundly to, the, to what it has become accustomed to that you can die. And it's just to prevent you from dying. And trust me, whatever toxin you're pulling out with the cayenne pepper or whatever, not going to hurt you. Because, well, let's just write it down. Just figure out which, which, just the formula. Come on, Caleb. But, you it, but is there a colloquial, colloquial way that they're using detox to mean something different? Who? The the hippies. The, the, yeah. The juice people. Uh, no, because they start talking about removing toxins. And now you're in a oh, zone you're right. they literally, where you have yeah. to show me the structure of said toxin. Just just to, just write the chemical formula. You can even, I'll even, not even the structure, just the formula. Just the California. No, look, I'll defer to the fact that you went to med school. But there's a. So, Are you going to you a toxin guy? No, 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 not at all. No, I think it's hilarious. Yeah. But I'm just kind of giving you the counterpoint. Okay, go ahead. But is there, like, let's say you go to a nutritional store and they're like, oh, you got to take these. It cleanses your liver. Yeah. That, that's what a is me- that? That's a meaningless cleanses of what? Um, and give me the, the physio. Forgetting the book. I'll even pass the. I'll, I can't even spell stoichiotomy. I'll, 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 even, I'll even not have you do, tell me the chemistry. Just tell me the physiology of what a, that even means. What are you talking about? Now, that Bergamet Mega Plus, I'm talking about reversing fatty liver. Mm-hmm. That is a function of the oxidation reduction state of the cells. That's a complex That sounds like science. Chemistry, yeah. And it has very much to do with the overall metabolism of your body in terms of insulin resistance, the triglyceride levels, the cholesterol metabolism, and there are ways to reduce the oxidative stress on those cells. Now, I'm willing to have that conversation with somebody, but I promise you that's not what they're doing. Nice plug. Anyway, so... So anyway, I want to go back to Bob's stuff. I got, a, I got another question here. We got lots of emails here today, so I want to get into some of these. This is a half-brother battling addiction, classic signs of bipolar since age 11. I don't know there are classic signs of bipolar at age 11, but okay. Now 26, thinking of killing himself. He has 50 tablets of Tylenol, which will do it if he doesn't get the – there is a – what's the word they use? Uh, a a, a uh, anti uh, – antidote to toxic Tylenol overdose which you have to get it within the first few hours mm-hmm. um, he separated his wife told his family and friends that he wants to kill himself uh, he's keeping up a line of communication with a few they've had law enforcement out there looking for him oh boy uh, they found him at a little rest stop based on the suicidal text law enforcement admitted him for 24 hours but they released him which is I don't know about you but I see so many people just shouldn't have been let out that yeah. are you know, that's that's the insurance companies dictating. I'm yeah. telling you, yeah, doctors would never do that on their own. He's a manipulator. His pattern when he gets manic depressive, he starts. He relapses on tobacco, then alcohol, and then street drugs. He does not want to get help. We've been through a lot. Uh, let's see. For about five years, he was sober in a Christian-based twelve-step program. Huh? That was like a nine-month inpatient program. That sounds good, right? I mean, I, I don't know what they yeah. were doing, but it's got all the requisites there. Uh, went through it twice. So what is the question? Uh, he's uh oh. He said goodbye. He's already taken the pills. Oh boy. Listen, this you get. I, you know, I I always am a believer in 
getting people back to where it's worked for them before. So if that program has worked for him, get him back. Very simple. They know him. They'll embrace him. Even if it's just mm-hmm. to get him back to his home meetings, get him. And then the other thing I would say is these threats and things, you're doing the right thing with law enforcement. Do yeah. not do not cut corners on that. If he threats, picked up, period. Yeah. Get him. Now, and scream like hell at the hospitals that let him out. And, and feel free to threaten the insurance company because that's where the rubber hits the road. Did you see, see this thing the other day where Hillary Clinton... Uh, got you know coverage for a guy and got him. It was some sort of bladder cancer or something, and um, <clears throat> she got him coverage. And I thought it's that easy. Just have a politician call the insurance company. Mm-hmm. That's that's how screwed up these guys are. That if somebody in power actually threatens you, they do you do the right thing. But otherwise, you're just sitting under the radar. I agree with you about having. You know, I I I think every emergency room should have a alcohol alcohol drug counselor specialist. They can do an assessment because a lot of those people in the emergency rooms are there from alcohol. They're drug-related. There's something happening in ERs you may you not know. be aware of. You're not aware of, I don't think, Caleb. Maybe you heard on this show. But the ER doctor's job now is contingent on the patient satisfaction yeah. surveys. <laughs> How do you think That's, that goes with our patients? Yeah. <laughs> so the more drugs they get, the higher the rating. <laughs> if they don't get the drugs, though, which is what the doctor's trying to do, yeah. They, they should have an exemption for addicts and alcoholics, which yeah. is that, yeah, that's going to be an unhappy person because we're not going to gratify what they're in there looking for. But no, that doctor will lose his or her job if they yeah. don't maintain the patient satisfaction. Yeah. How crazy is that? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're in is some, again, people want to blame the drug companies for this. Yeah. That's nothing to a drug company. No. That's, that's hospitals and lawyers again and insurance, insurance companies. Yeah. Yes. That's where the that's where the evil lies. I, too strong a word. Uh, that's where the problem lies. Yeah, and I think some some uh, illnesses need to be treated differently. I I believe chemical dependency. I think long term treatment. The research is pretty clear that relapse yes. rates go down. Yes, and uh, and in the long run, uh, you may sp- spend more on the front end, but you're going to save. Uh, and and you know the, we got we developed a lot of expertise in honing down the cost and we could we could keep treat somebody for like fifteen hundred dollars a month uh-huh. and you know varying levels you know with outpatients sober living and the whatever you, yeah you know, yeah that all of a sudden got very popular with the insurance companies and magically the price went up yeah <laughs> i don't know if you saw yeah. that yeah yeah that was a little concerning to but me that's but that's structure yeah that's good yes, structure it's adequate. 24 7 it's fine yeah. Yeah. it's excellent and you can really deliver that economically yeah yeah what are you thinking Caleb? i see your mind going well i you guys are the professionals. In what the do you think? Come on. No, I'm just uh, taking it all in here. All right. uh, but the the medical field, I just the the way the business works yeah. is I can't understand it. it like because yeah. part of it doesn't make sense, and then where it came from, I don't really know the history. But I just I'm just wondering if part of it with the ER is that they want to get people out of there as soon as possible. So if they seem happier, then that's a way to do that. Well, like like Drew was saying, the insurance too. I mean, yeah. they they 
the surgeries I have, they want me out of there as soon as I can yeah. go to the bathroom. Yes, that's <laughs> you know? that's. But that's actually a good thing because yeah. you know the infection rates and things like that start that, to yeah. go up if yeah. you stay in and yeah, blood true. clots and things. But but you know that that when that first started happening, I I was practicing medicine and it was it was difficult because we didn't really have the infrastructure to get people out, yeah. you know, and to follow them and to watch them and and yeah. we didn't know really what would happen outside of our supervision and nursing. Yeah. And we have a track record now where that that's a good thing. But um, you know, it used to, it, it all started with the fact that hospital care got very expensive, so that people had to have funds put aside for catastrophes. That it's called insurance against catastrophe, and then it became an entitlement. Then it became just everyone's supposed to have everything and not pay anything all the time for anything for whatever they want. And I'm not sure that's that's a viable system. Now, in this case, both the insurance companies and the hospitals want to be able to market the fact that we have the highest patient satisfaction service. It's not about uh, getting them in and out. It's okay. about we have satisfied customers. Yeah. You know, we're, we're you know they, they're starting to run like. Uh, Resorts or, or hotels, which, yeah. which, which, to some extent, they could learn a little bit from. I mean, it's not a totally, you know, bogus idea. To you know, how about the food? Let's bring well, that up to on, good standards. On one hand, there's all the surgical centers popping up in LA to get out of hospitals, get away from hospitals. that. I've noticed that are fancy. Yeah, I mean, you mm-hmm. you don't get a hospital. Well, you, level of care is same, but yeah. you get a nicer experience. And, and and the insurance companies like it because it doesn't have all the cost of a hospital. You don't stay overnight. You may. You may. Well, some of those have ho- literally associated oh. with hotels now. And they put a nurse in there, and that's okay. all they need. All right. This um, reminder, everybody, that uh, this whole this live podcast is courtesy of com, And uh, you can support the show by clicking on the Amazon banner. For all your shopping needs, you pay nothing extra, but uh, it puts a little wind in the sails here of this life. Also, we love hearing from you, so uh, go to drdrew.com slash contact and send us your questions. And for Facebook fans, we now have finally the Dr. Drew Facebook page. I'm going to try to do some of the uh, videos there now. Caleb Nation, who's helping us with that. Caleb's a great guy. If you want to follow, do you follow Caleb Nation? No, but I feel like I support every Caleb. Like we're just a small <laughs> I think I think you're the C though. He's with the K. Oh, then I don't support you him. You get you get my emails to him all the time. That, that has happened. There's been some cross Calebing. <laughs> um, but we can't. We but 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 Facebook is where we're, we're trying to get a little more active, and I'll put some videos up there. Hopefully, when I, when we were traveling, I got a little interactive there, and time to do that. Uh, we're sorry we can't read everyone's question, but we will be reading some of them here and taking some calls. And but we can't respond to everyone's question. And uh, you can always tweet us your suggestions at This Life Podcast or go to at First Lady of Love for future guests, future suggestions, future ideas. And uh, Bob, it's been a real privilege to share a little time with you. Thank you, Drew. Thank you for all the work. It's uh, the We need to like create an army. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I'm glad, I, I feel reassured by your quiet confidence right now because I felt like we're tacking against the wind a bit uh and you're out there you see it well i'm an offensive lineman so i gotta (laughs) clear clear the way for well i appreciate that just just uh, you're gonna be my what what position were you with guard i was offensive guard so i want you to pull and get in front of me and let's do this now by the way did you see that that tight end for the rams last night he's good yeah what was his name sheer or something I don't know he's a big guy we talked about that tall guy but he was good bob for like the thoughts and worldview you have on recovery if people want to learn more are there materials or websites you can yeah. send people to i would encourage them to go to the hazel and betty dot org uh website we have a lot of educational materials and videos and so forth and if they have any questions 
Uh, they can talk to a, profess- a professional there about family members or, so, or, or themselves. And, and let me say, Betty Ford has been a quality operation for decades, a leader in a quality operation for decades. It, it became... I'm not sure people understood the quality that Betty Ford gave because it became a place where a lot of celebrities went and then sort of didn't didn't follow through. A lot of them were not ready for sobriety. Yeah. So it became sort of a place that was perceived by some, not myself, as sort of being mm, gratifying to some of these people. And you don't want to gratify. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and and right. Uh, But they've all... And now with the Hazleton Association, and yeah. listen, you will get excellent care at Betty Ford. This is, you know... I, I wasn't. I'm under no obligation to say this, but I've referred to Betty Ford for years and years and years. Yeah. And uh, also Harry Harotunian. Oh uh, yes. I love Harry. Doctor Harry's yeah. uh, is our top notch physician yeah. Yeah. there. And, and I did a podcast. If you want to go to doctor.com, the Doctor Who podcast. I uh, did an hour with him a couple of years ago. Yeah. But I, I, you know, you know when you find like minded people. And yeah. uh, Harry's one of those guys. So. Yeah. And that show's probably behind the paywall. So yeah. You have to join the so. premium paywall podcast at. Podcast Yeah, so that's a that's not us. That's not this life. That's the Doctor Drew podcast over at Podcast One and the Corolla Empire, all that stuff. But that was something I did years ago. So, well, uh, Bob, thank you so much. We will. Is there, do you have a, something to we can follow a Twitter handle or anything else if we want to follow you? Uh, I don't have a. You know, I, I Facebook page. I, I, I have a Facebook page. Do you uh, want our people clamoring in there? I you know I put up a lot of football football <laughs> stuff in there <laughs> if they want to reminisce. You know, yeah, okay, so, go in. But it's under Bob Newton and uh, Seattle Seahawks or Chicago Bears. Great. All right. So. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next time. in the valley When there's peace in my heart Ah, the road is so winding That you just get lost My friends, let me tell you As dumb as it sounds well, kindness is everything And love is all there is Truth, chaos and beauty and philosophy can teach you to hate but the sun coming up again another baby gets born and there's no rhyme or reason finish then start Kindness is everything And love is all there is Truth, chaos and beauty When there's peace in my heart 
and the road is so winding that you just get lost. My friends, let me tell you, as dumb as it sounds, kindness is everything. Love is all there is Well, kindness is everything And love is all there is